Um, we are going to be looking in Joshua chapter 7. If you have a Bible or you have a phone that you can look up the Bible, um, we have been, since we moved into the building here, we've been looking at the story of Joshua and the Israelites going into the promised land. If you are not familiar with this story, they, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and then they were miraculously delivered from Egypt following Moses, and then they wandered in the wilderness because of their disobedience for 40 years. And now the book of Joshua is when God says, okay, Joshua, lead the children of Israel into the promised land, this land that you will have for your own to become a nation, to become the people of God. And so the, the story of Joshua really is the nation of Israel going in, conquering cities, taking over the land, becoming a people, learning what it means to be followers of God, learning it what it means to be the people of God. So, a couple weeks ago, where we left off in the, series, in the story was they had just conquered the first city, the military stronghold city. Anyone remember what that city was, the first one they conquered? Jericho, yes. Well done. Well done. This is like Sunday school training. So, that was the one where they had to walk around the city walls for seven days, and then the walls fell down, and God delivered the city of Jericho. Well, following that, Everything's on an all-time high, but one of the instructions that God gave them was, okay, you're going to find lots of, you know, I guess in pirate terms, the treasure. You're going to find all the treasure of the city. You're not to keep any of the silver or gold. The Bible refers to them, we're going to read it today, as the devoted things. It talks about that because God said, I want all the valuable things to be brought into the temple treasury in this first city. You're not to keep any of it for yourself. And this was a, really a sign of, do we trust God? He said, God said, don't take any of the silver or gold for yourself. Put it all in the temple treasury. But one person took some of the silver and kept it for themselves. We don't know. Joshua doesn't know that yet, but that's where we pick up the story, okay? So we're actually going to start reading the story in Joshua chapter 6, verse 27, the last verse of chapter 6, and then we'll continue on in Joshua 7 today. It says this. This is right after the conquering of Jericho. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. So that's like the triumph, high point, yay, everyone's happy, God is with us, nothing can stop us now. But then, verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 1, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, the silver, the gold, the treasure. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, all these names that we should know how to pronounce, but we don't, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So Joshua, the leader of Israel, is unaware that this has happened. He's unaware that there is sin in the camp. And so they move on to the next city. The next city after Jericho that they need to conquer is a city spelled A-I, but it's pronounced I-E. And this is the city, this is a smaller city. Joshua sends out some spies, and they go and look, and they're getting very cocky. They're thinking, God's been with us. Jericho was a big military city. This city of Ai is not going to be hard at all. And they come back, and they tell Joshua, listen, this is going to be a piece of cake. We don't even need to send the whole army. Send like 3,000 guys. We'll wipe them out quick. It's going to be easy. We'll be back here before dinner. And it's going to be great. And so Joshua's like, yeah, that's fine. And they're unaware that God has turned his back on them because of the sin that Achan has committed. And they're very confident. And they just assume that God is going to be with them and fight this battle. So you can totally feel what's going to happen, right? You can totally feel what's going to happen. This is a, um, this is a very Minnesota Vikings moment, right? This is like we've, we've rolled off two in a row to start the season. And everyone's like... 
this is easy. 16-0, and 0, here we come. Super Bowl. Ain't no stopping us now. And then we get rolled by Cleveland or something like that. That's what happens to the Israelites because they're very cocky. They're very confident. They don't realize that God has turned his back on them. And they get beat by the city of Ai. A lot of the soldiers get killed and the rest get chased away. They run away in defeat. Okay, so first of all, obviously, one of the lessons here is we often learn the hard way when we think, I'm, I'm good all by myself. I got this under control. I don't really need God in my life. We face defeat. We face failure in that way. The people of Israel are defeated and run away in failure. And because of this, Joshua, if you read in the next few verses in chapter 7 there, he falls on his face before God. And he starts crying out to God, God, how could you do this? You said you were going to be with us. You said you were, we were going to be victorious. You said you'd provide for us and that we would conquer all these cities. And then he starts saying, why have you brought us this far only to abandon us? Have you ever been there where you're just questioning God? God, where are you? Why are we going through this? This is what Joshua is doing. He's even saying, what are the other nations going to think? We're supposed to be the ones that show how strong you are by our military might, and here we are getting defeated. Joshua is crying out to God, why have you let this happen? Why have you let defeat come to us? And this is God's reply in verse 10 of chapter 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. God was quick to let Joshua know. Stand up. This is not a strategy thing. This is not a military might thing. This is because there is sin in the camp. Israel has sinned against me, and until that is made right, you will continue to face defeat. And so God's instructions to Joshua were, get up. It's funny that God sees someone praying and it's like he's saying, stop praying. This isn't a prayer thing. This is a go and make it right thing. This is a go and take action against the sin in the camp. Make it right. Israel has sinned, and God commanded Joseph, go and make it right. So here's where we're going to focus today in the minutes we have together. Here's the big idea that I want you to get today. When things are not going well in your life, when you feel like you're in a season of defeat or failure, if you feel like you're being chased away by all your enemies, how do you make it right? How do we do what God was telling Joshua? Make it right. How do we do that? What are the things that we can how do we diagnose what the problem is when things aren't going right? I was thinking this week, it's, um, it's like diagnosing a, a problem if your car is having problems. It's easy these days because your car has computers now, and you, have a, you can buy a little code scanner. And if there's something not right, like if a warning light comes on, and you're like, well, what does that mean? Typically in our house, we've got some older cars because we have some teenage drivers. Warning lights are just a sign that things are, are great, that this is we're still working, right? I, it's like a Christmas tree on some of these old cars. I'm like, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. But you can get a, a code scanner, and you plug it into a little port, and it'll pop up, you know, the error codes. Like, this is why that warning light is there. And the best, so it's easy to diagnose on a newer car, because you just plug the thing in, and it tells you what the problem is. Um, and my favorite part is on the scanner, there's a button that says, clear the codes. And you hit that. 
and all the warning lights go turned off, and I think, man, problem solved. <laughs> and then I quick sell the car. No, I don't sell. No, I give it to my kids to drive. They drive it. So, but if you're like me and you grew up in the 80s where you were learning how to drive, we didn't have the computers in the cars. I grew up driving old Volkswagen Rabbits. That's, my parents had a collection of them. They, were, they would buy one for $400 and my brother and I would drive it around until it died and then they'd get another one. Um, we, were, we, were, we were big shots back then. You know, just, put, just buy another car. You know, no, it wasn't it at all. Um, and then there'd be times where something was wrong with the car and we didn't have the code scanner. We'd have to take it to a mechanic and try to figure out what the problem was. And if you were like me, you'd try to communicate with a mechanic because I didn't know the language. I would just try to describe the noises that it was making. So, and here's the poor mechanic while I'm trying to say it's kind of a thing. And he's like, oh, okay, it could be this. And sometimes when I started, it goes and he's like, oh, okay, that could be this. And, you know, have you ever been there? That's, that's how we used to have to do it in the olden days. Um, so I remember uh, that we were actually joking about this this week because um, when I first met Christy, I was still driving one of these old Volkswagen Rabbits, and I think she went on one date with me and said, there's no future here if you continue to drive this car. So I ditched the car. But before that, before I moved to Minnesota, I remember I was driving the silver one. We had every color throughout my teenage years, and uh, it just, one day it just wouldn't start, just nothing. Not a click, 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 not a run, 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 you know, nothing. And so I was talking to a mechanic and he said, well, it sounds like it could be the starter motor. Because we were trying to diagnose what the problem was. I don't know what the problem is, there's an issue here, let's think about this. And he said, it might be the starter motor. And so he, he came over and he just tapped it, tapped it with a wrench, and he said, try now the starter motor, and, and I started, and it started right up. And he said, sometimes the wiring in a starter motor will just be off a little bit, but if you just jar it a bit or, or tap it, it'll kind of, you know, like a, trying to get a kid out of bed, I guess. It just needs a little shake, and then it's like wakes up. So I'm like, well, that's easy. Now, he said, it's not going to be like that forever. Eventually, you're going to have to get the starter motor replaced. But for a couple of weeks, you can probably get by, because I needed to save up some money. So I then started, every time I needed to go somewhere, I'd have to tap the starter motor, and then eventually I had to tap it harder. And so you can imagine me, and the girl I was dating at the time, we'd, have to, we'd be going out on a date, and it would be like, hang on, and I'd lift up the hood, and wham, 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 and like, try it now, and she'd start it. And yeah, I was quite a catch back then, you can imagine. But eventually it stopped working at all, and I still didn't have enough money to, to start the, or pay for the starter motor. So in an old school stick shift car, and we lived on a hill, right, right, you could just pop it in neutral, and I would run down the street, down the hill, and then you get it moving, and then you hop in. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And then you pop it, drop it into second, and drop the clutch, and away you go, and then off to our date. <laughs> you know, lucky girl she was. Well, there was one day, and this is what we were laughing at this week, where I went over to her house, and, and uh, she broke up with me that night, and it must have been the car. Um, but she broke up with me that night, and I was very sad, and I walked out to the car. I left her house, and I walked to the car, got in to start the car and go home, and that sad moment, Mariah Carey playing on the radio, and, and, uh, and the car wouldn't start, and I'm like, <sighs> and it was not on a hill, and I'm like, <sighs> my only choice was to go back into her house and say, hey, could you help me push start my car one more time? <laughs> and I'd love to say that she had a change of heart, but I think that just reaffirmed in her heart, this guy is a dud. And she did. She, pushed, we helped, she helped me push the car one more time, and I drove off and cranked up the 80s 
love songs on my way home. Um, I'm not sure why I told you that whole story, but th to say this, we're going to compare cars to our heart today, okay? That's a terrible transition. We are going to take a moment and try to diagnose in our heart, is there something wrong? If you're facing defeat, if you're going through a difficult season, let's check a few things. Let's check a few things, see if we can't diagnose what might be going on. And so we're going to look at three things. Three things that we can check. Um, and the first one is this. First thing we got to check. If you're going through a difficult season, you're feeling like you're in a season of defeat, check your relationship with God. How's this? How's this working? And if you're a visitor here or maybe you've, you've been around church for a while, you're thinking, that's of course you're going to say that. You're the pastor. You have to say it's all about a relationship with God. That's the first thing we're going to check. My kids, there's a joke these days that they're like, Dad, all you tell us to do is you think every problem can be fixed with put away your phone, eat a vegetable, and go for a walk. And I'm like, well, okay. That, that's kind of, I get labeled with that, right? Any kids, you think your parents always say that stuff? You're probably saying, well, that's a, that's a total preacher answer. Check your relationship with God. But let's acknowledge it. That's the first thing we need to start with, right? How is this? How's your relationship with your creator, with the God who made you, with the God who loves you, with the God who knows you, with the God who wants you to follow him, who has a plan and a call on your life? So how do we do that? It is time in the word. It is time in prayer. If you've been around Homestead long enough, I sound like a broken record with that. We need to spend time daily in God's Word. We need to spend time daily in God's Word. Anybody say amen to that one? Same time in prayer and in God's Word. Memorizing Scripture. Reading and studying Scripture. Taking a few moments to say, how is this? God, how is my heart with you? There's been times where I felt just down and defeated and anxious and just overcome by the cares of the world. And it is almost like clockwork when I can look back and I can say, oh, well, I have been neglecting the one thing I should be doing. I have been neglecting time in the Word, time in prayer. This has been, I've been on the sidelines with my relationship with God. How's this? In your heart, in your life, your relationship with God. Maybe you've never thought about a relationship with God. Open your heart up to faith in God, a God who loves you. Open your heart up to salvation through Jesus Christ who died for you. This is the start. This is the first thing to check when you have a problem, when you have a warning light on, and you need to figure out what it is. Spend time confessing sin, repenting, memorizing Scripture. Spend time in prayer. Prayer is not so that we try to convince God to take away our struggles. Prayer is where we draw strength from God to persevere, to walk through this life, to have hearts that are filled with trust and faith and love, to grow in our Christ-likeness. Jesus taught that it's like abiding in the vine. It's connected. When a branch is connected to the vine, it's life source. That's where it draws everything it needs from the vine. That's what we're supposed to do in our relationship with God. And what hinders that is areas of sin, unconfessed sin, or a hard heart, or pride, or idolatry, or self-sufficiency. Like the Israelites, you're thinking, I can do fine on my own. I don't need God. I'm doing fine on my own. These are all things that prevent you from drawing what you need from your relationship with God. The joy that you need, the faith that you need, the peace that comes in knowing God has got this. In this crazy world we're in right now, God's got this. These are all things that can hinder you when you have those in your life. So take a moment. Do a little spiritual heart diagnosis. How is this? How's your relationship with God? 
Maybe you need to make it right today. As we're spending some time at the end of the service praying, maybe you just need to take a moment and say, God, I have put you on the sidelines. I need to re-engage with my relationship with you, my first love, the thing that is of utmost importance. Especially in a season like this, COVID 2020, anxiety and frustration and frayed nerves and short tempers and fear about the economy and going back to school and an election that everyone's going to lose their minds over. You must be anchored in the Word of God and in prayer through this season, right? You must be anchored in the Word and in prayer, not only to endure, but God calls us to so much more than just survival and making it through. In the worst of seasons, we can still thrive. We can still flourish because we are connected to God, because we are abiding in the vine. This is what he invites us into, not just survival, but flourishing, bringing life to those around us. This is what God invites us into. So first and foremost, the thing we check is, how's this? Me and you, God, how's this? Second one is this. How are things in your relationships? So there's this. I got actions today. There's this. And then there's this. How are things in your relationships with other people? You and other people. How is that? There's a big difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, the Old Testament, um, all the things leading up to Jesus, and then the New Testament is the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and the beginning of the Christian church. There was a big transition that Jesus brought, something very different that Jesus introduced. With the Old Testament, if you were an Israelite and you were a follower of God and you wanted to show God that you loved him, you did that by obeying his commands. God, you've given us all these commands and all these rules, the law of God, the Old Testament. We are going to obey that. We see that in Joshua. The reason why God was against Israel is because they disobeyed his commands. That is how you showed God that you loved him was by obedience. And a lot of people come into church these days and just think, i got to make God happy with me and i got to obey all the rules and make him happy with me. But Jesus introduced something completely different and completely new in the New Testament. Jesus introduced that the way we demonstrate our love for God is by loving other people. This was brand new. He, introduced, he talked about this in the book of Matthew, chapter 22. And this is when some of the religious rulers, the religious people that all they knew was the law of God, they would always try to trick Jesus and try to ask him questions just to make sure that he was a good Old Testament Jewish person. And so they're asking him, what was the greatest commandment? And this is what we read in Matthew chapter 22. Teacher, this is one of the Pharisees asking Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, let's make sure you got all the answers right and that you know it's about following the rules. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And, every, and he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. And if he would have stopped there, everyone would have been in agreement. Yes, that is the correct answer. Obey all the rules. That's how you show love. But Jesus kept talking. And he said, and the second is like it. And that was like a record needle scratch moment. Like everyone in the room was like, no, no, no. There's no second. No, it's love the Lord and obey his commands. That's it. That's all we do. And Jesus says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love other people the way you love yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This was brand new. And this wasn't Jesus saying, um, first is love God, and sometimes second, like uh, silver medal, is love other people. It's a good idea to love other people too. No, this is Jesus saying there's two things that are top priority. 
There's two firsts. The first is love God and obey him and also love other people. This is how you show how you love God. And Jesus reiterated again in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says this again. Again, these words we read and we don't really register how controversial this would have been. But he says this in verse 34 of John 13. A new command I give you. Again, record needle scratch moment. No, there's no new commands. That's what they're saying. There's no new commands. We've been following these commands of Moses for hundreds and hundreds of years. And Jesus says, a new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not only is Jesus introducing a new command, but he's saying this is going to be the evidence for how you love God is if you love other people. This is revolutionary new stuff that Jesus was teaching. And one final verse in Matthew, back in Matthew Chapter 5, verse 23. Oh, I've got to find it here. Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, this is Jesus talking about people giving their offering at the temple. If you are offering a gift at the altar and then remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus is showing how serious he is about this whole loving other people, saying don't even worry about offering your gift at the temple. This offering that people would walk for days to get to the temple in Jerusalem and wait in line for days and hours and find an an, buy an animal and it would be chaotic. And Jesus is saying if you're in that line to give your gift or your sacrifice at the temple and you remember that there's a broken relationship, Take care of that first. First things first. Don't even offer the sacrifice. Take care of the broken relationship. This is Jesus saying, this is of utmost importance. It's not just this anymore. It's how are you with loving other people? This is the message that Jesus gives. This is the message that too often gets lost in our Christian culture wars because we forget the idea that Jesus says, the way people are supposed to know that you're a disciple is by how well you love them, by how well you love other people. If there's a break here, there's a break here. If there's a break in a relationship, there's a break here. This is what Jesus is teaching us. So this might be bad news in our very polarized, combative culture these days for us, but here's the bad news. How we treat the most difficult people in our world is the evidence of how much we love God. That's it. That's what Jesus teaches us. How we love the difficult people in our world is how you are showing God how much you love Him. And perhaps the Christ followers in this particularly difficult season that we are in could be the ones, once again, to just demonstrate love for other people, to demonstrate kindness. Amen? That's the train. That's the sound of heaven right there. You hear that? Heaven's train is coming. That's I know when I make a good point. They, they blow the train horn for me. If you don't say amen, the trains are going to cry out is what's going to happen. That's the one I was looking for. It took me three attempts. Perhaps Christ's followers in this particularly difficult season could be the ones leading the way, leading the way in love for others. This is what's supposed to set us apart. So, our spiritual diagnostic check. How's this? How's your relationship with God? And how's this? How's relationships with others? There might be a relationship that you just need to humble yourself and make it right. 
And there's all sorts of excuses. Yeah, but they, and yeah, but they said the lead the way in how Christ loved you, how God loves you. You love other people. How Christ laid down his life for you, you do the same for other people. Make it right. Reconcile. There's a moment where there's times when we're praying, and I believe God says to us, you know what? Stand up. Make it right. Go and do the thing. Go and reconcile. Make it right. So that's the first two things. How's things with God? How's things with others? And the third one, I don't really have a good hand signal for, but how are things out there? <laughs> how are things around us? In other words, is there something that God is asking you to do? Is there something that God's put on your heart to do? Joshua is on his face before God saying, God, we're in a season of defeat. What is wrong? How could this happen? And God is very clear to him. Get up. Stand up. There's an issue that needs to be corrected. There's a step that needs to be taken. There's something you need to do to make it right. There's times where God has put something on our hearts to do, and we need to be obedient and to follow Him. There's times where there is a, an issue in our heart that is a roadblock. Some of those things I was talking about earlier on, some of the areas of sin or complacency or idolatry in our heart, and God is saying, you got to make it right. Do the thing. Get some accountability. Go to treatment. Get a... Get, reconcile a relationship, take that step of faith, that area of sin that keeps tripping you up. Let's get help that you need because it's always going to be tripping you up in your walk of faith. So before we can get any further, we got to take care of this one thing. That's what God is saying to Joshua. Before we can get any further in taking over the promised land, we got to take care of this thing. Sometimes God is saying that to you. There's a step that you need to take. There's a thing in your heart that you need to get rid of. There's help that you need to get. It's going to keep tripping you up, but make it right. Sometimes it's not a repentance thing. It's a take action thing. Sometimes it's a be obedient and do the thing that God is asking you. There's often times where God is saying, there's a step of faith I want you to take in generosity or in trust or in love for other people. There's a step of faith I want you to take. And maybe you're floundering in your faith because you've refused to do that. Or there's a part of your heart that you're like, God, I refuse to give this over to you. How are things around you? Is there something that God is asking you to do? It might just be that faith is, has become a, uh, just a sideline thing or you're a spectator thing or it's just a church thing on Sunday morning. And God is saying the next step for you is to engage in the word of God and pray every day and to get your faith, to give your faith action in the world around you, to have it not just be something you observe on Sunday mornings. Christy and I were talking about this week in our weird world that we're in with COVID and it just feels like everything's kind of on hold and everything's been shut down for a lot of things. It's kind of felt like for us that, you know, even church and faith, it just feels like, oh, we're just kind of waiting church and ministering to our community while well, we're just kind of waiting until we can do stuff. And, and we both this week just started feeling like it just feels, there's like a, I don't know what, how to describe it, but we just felt like, no, we got to, we can't become complacent in our faith just because the world is in a weird season. This is the time where we need to be active in our faith, right? This is the time where the church can shine its brightest. So we were, you know, renewed in our commitment this week to just, you know what, we don't want to just coast. We want to be active. We want to meet needs. What if every, everybody in this church, what if every family at Homestead Church during COVID 2020 found one family that we reached out to and, and ministered to and met their needs and shared about Jesus Christ? What if we did that? 
What if we just said, you know what, I'm not going to put my faith on hold just because everything else seems to be on hold. But we continued to reach out, amen? We continued to reach out and meet needs and share our faith. Not only would we see little pockets of light and mercy and God's love come to our community, but your faith would be reignited. Your passion for the Word of God and prayer would be reignited because you are being active in your faith. Does that make sense? So don't put your faith on hold in a difficult season. Man, there's just a weariness when after a while, if we just keep our faith on hold, we're just not being active with it. So if you're in a holding pattern in your faith, maybe God's word for you today is, let's go. Let's make it right. Let's get up. Let's do the thing. Let's take that step. So those are three things, and we're going to close here in a minute. Three things to diagnose what might be going on. How's this? How's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with other people? And how are you exercising your faith in the world that you are in? So let's just uh, allow God to maybe speak truth to us as we wrap up. But there's one final thing I want you to consider. And this needs to be said because sometimes we're going through a tough season, a season where we feel like we are being defeated or discouraged. Sometimes we're going through that season and there is nothing to blame. Sometimes it's just a hard season and you might be there today. You might be going through that. We are all going through that in some ways. Sometimes it's just a hard season you know, to use my bad car metaphor again, it might not be the suspension that's bad. You might just be on a really rough road for a while. And maybe you're in that season. And all you can do, there's, you're like, yeah, my relationship with God, I'm, I feel good. I feel good with my relationship with others. I'm trying to be obedient. And you might be thinking, what's wrong? Is God mad at me? Well, sometimes it's just a tough season. So I want to encourage you today. There is times where you, the only thing you can do is just endure just persevere. Just continue to take steps. Continue to anchor your life in His Word. Continue to spend time in prayer. Continue to love others. And when He calls you to do something, continue to be obedient. And it might just be tough for a while, and you just persevere. You just endure, and you take a step. You continue to abide in the vine, to draw strength from Him, to love others, and to follow Him. How the story ends in this chapter is eventually they Joshua gets up, and they draw lots, basically, to figure out who, who it was that stole the silver. And if you're Aiken, you're probably thinking, okay, chances are pretty good. They're not going to, there's literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people here, so they're not going to be able to single me out. And so they get all the 12 tribes, and they draw uh, lots to figure out whose tribe it is. And they're like, oh, it's the tribe of Judah. And Achan's like, oh, that's my tribe. Okay, lucky guess. That's one out of 12 chance. Okay. And then they're like, what, uh, what family? Who, the son of this and the son of this and the family here and this group. And they finally get down to Achan's family, and they all draw straws, and Achan gets the short straw. And they discover this is how God revealed to Israel. Achan was the one who stole, and they found the stuff. He was the one who brought sin into the camp, and they deal with Achan. He was, in fact, Achan. Waiting for that train. Waiting for that train to whistle. It's not there. <laughs> they dealt with Achan. And after that was dealt with, God said, okay, now it's right. Now we can move forward. And they went and they conquered the city of Ai. 
and they were victorious, and they saw God continue to provide for them. Here's, here's why I point that out. This is how the story ends. Even through a, a season where it feels like you are weary or defeated, God is always working you towards victory. All, God is always moving you towards good things. He allows storms and trials so that we won't neglect this or that we'll stay focused on this or being obedient. But He continues like He did with Israel, even in the defeat that first time. He continues to move us towards good things. He is always at work for your good. His heart towards you is love. You don't ever do anything that will cause God to stop loving you. If you're here today and you are still used to kind of an Old Testament, I got to do enough of the rule following or God's going to be mad at me and He's going to stop loving me. No, in Christ, you have the righteousness of Christ. God loves you. His love is unconditional. You don't earn it. You don't need to earn it. And you can't cause it to stop. His love is there. And in His loving heart, He brings you through seasons, and He encourages you, and He says, let's get this right, let's get this right, let's continue to be obedient because I want to move you on to good things. I have things for you to do. I have light for you to shine and miracles for you to see, and I have lives to change, and I want to use you. This is what He's calling us towards, amen? So this is why we continue to focus on these things. This is why we don't want to just you know, drive around with a check engine light all the time. We want to make sure that things are right because God has things for us. He's moving us towards good things. Amen? Let's pray together. And as we bow our heads in prayer and close your eyes, I just, if you have never had a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've never received His salvation, just invite Him in. It's, it's as simple as confessing your sin, saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up, but I receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. And if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died and rose from the dead, then you're a follower of Jesus. So just do that if you've never done that before. But for the rest of us and for all of us now, let's just take a minute and allow the Holy Spirit, allow God to speak to our heart. Maybe there's a little diagnosis, a little diagnostic check that he wants to do. Is there something in your relationship with God? Is there an area of your heart that you have refused to give over? Is faith in Jesus just something that's been on the back burner, on the sidelines, and you need to just make it a priority? You need to spend time in the Word and prayer. Allow God to speak to you. And in this moment right now, you can just make it right. Say, God, I want to do this. I want to take this step. Forgive me of complacency and idolatry and pride and self-sufficiency. Again, I recommit my heart to you. And maybe it's a relationship. Maybe there's someone right now the Holy Spirit is putting in your heart put in your mind somebody that you need to make it right with. That the way that you can demonstrate your love for God is to, by how you love this other person. Somebody you work with, a friend, a family member. And maybe this week, maybe even today, is the day where you pick up the phone or you find them and you just make it right. And finally, maybe there's someone here that there's a step of faith you need to take. A step of obedience. God's asking you to do something. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak to each heart. The application of this message from Joshua chapter 7 today is unique for each of us, and we thank you that you are a living God, that you speak uniquely to each of us. The area that I need to fix is different than the area that somebody else needs to fix. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak an individual challenge to every heart here today. And ultimately, Lord, we want to be encouraged by you and lifted up. We want to know that you are moving us to good things, and this is why you want us to give our heart to you. I pray that you would encourage those who are down and weary today. Help us to know that you have good things in store for us. 
We love you and we trust you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.